the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co-hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Mulhern, this is Global Denmark. Welcome back to the Global Denmark podcast. This is Ed. We're recording largely just to let you know that I am still here, still alive, <laughs> still recording podcasts. Today we're going to go through a quick recap of the last roundtable and, and then a little bit about what we've got coming up at the next roundtable and hopefully make it a little bit interesting. But anyway, Thomas, how are you doing? Ed, is, is that really you? I feel like I don't even recognize you, but your voice sounds similar. <laughs> I've actually been to a voice coach for the upcoming TEDx talk, so I should sound like there's a golf ball at the back of my throat and I'm talking out the top of my head, so I should sound a little different. Oh, okay, because there was kind of conspiracy theories that you were stuck in the Alps somewhere, and uh, I guess those were unfounded claims. <laughs> I'm heading there tomorrow, so... Um... Okay, back back on the road again. <laughs> Well, yes, that's right. We um, we just had our first roundtable there a couple of weeks back, which was, I think it was interesting to just bring back our alumni uh, there, Chris, uh, Klaus, and uh, Ketcha, to really have that kind of cognitive diversity looking at these different issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I'd like to throw something out to, to the audience, actually. We've got a lot of these roundtables coming up, and it would be brilliant if listeners could to throw some questions to us, perhaps email us with any questions that you'd like us to to offer to the panel for for discussion. That would be fantastic. Absolutely. Well, I mean, let's start with kind of roundtable part one, as we called it, the lessons from Denmark. I heard some interesting things there. I wouldn't say that they shocked me from our conversations, but it was interesting to hear how the threads kind of connected. And the first major one was how important the social welfare model really is. I mean, I guess we take it for granted even a little bit being in Denmark now for a period of time, but it was clear from our guests that this plays a central role in terms of what Denmark can teach the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it is really easy to to underestimate the power of the social welfare model because ultimately the majority of listeners to this podcast, whatever country they're from, are going to feel like they benefit from a social welfare model anyway, right? Because it's a generally middle-class listenership that have access to all of those amenities anyway. But Denmark and uh, the Nordic countries in general just have this level platform for everyone. So there really is that equal opportunities. And as Mike Viking said, that's really what the happiness model is based on. Right. What does it take to be the least unhappy country in the world and what kind of opportunities does that give i mean and we talked also about this kind of misconception that having a social welfare model can somehow weaken productivity or it can kind of mitigate the benefits that you get but we heard examples of the other systems where you pay less tax but at the end of the day you have to pay for education and health care and saving up for retirement anyways so what is your net benefit after all? And it seemed like the Danish model provided actually a better net benefit, which was kind of interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, having it all clear and upfront really ties in, I think, with the uh, with the Nordic value of trust as well. You can see it directly there in front of you. I read a, a study recently that suggested that actually France and Belgium have a higher tax rate than Denmark and the other Nordic countries, but you still end up paying the same amount across your life. It's Indeed. just a bit more transparent. Your tax burden is basically <laughs> the same, right? In terms of talent. We had Klaus Lindborg there and we were looking at what what are the conditions needed to actually attract the right talent and that dovetailed with the social welfare model being in place but also this notion that there has to be a society that is actually doing innovative things within sustainability, within life sciences and all these STEM fields to actually be able to attract this global talent. Yeah, absolutely. So there's the one side, and we spoke a lot about that on the podcast, that is the um, what needs to be happening in the innovation area and the cultural space. But every time that I speak to people about talent attraction, it comes down to the personal level of can somebody integrate here? Can they find a partner here? Can they bring a partner here? Will that partner integrate as well as they can? Right. And I think Chris Shurn kind of nailed it when he said, who doesn't want to be respected? Who doesn't want to be listened to? And it's that notion of you can have at the macro level the conditions in place with safety and work-life balance, but you also have to have the truly inclusive atmosphere in place to attract the right talent, basically. We talk a lot about the Nordic values of trust and collaboration, but that has to be extended to foreign talent as well. Otherwise, things could quickly go wrong. Absolutely. And I think what's perhaps required is rather than saying, okay, we need to start extending that trust and we need to get uncomfortable, just actually have really clear steps of, are you doing this exact thing? If you're not doing this exact thing, this person isn't going to feel integrated. If you're doing this exact thing, I mean, I met a couple this weekend who have come here from a major company in Denmark who are assigned somebody to welcome them, okay. to spend time with them, right. who are not welcoming them and not spending time with them, right? It's uh, too much lip service and not enough. These exact steps are required or people will leave because when it comes down to it, it's not about being Danish or being English or, or anything other than that. It's does the person coming to this country feel like they can build a network of people that care about them? Indeed. And how do you design that Danish life, right? And make it truly your own. Absolutely. And one of the examples we looked at in terms of gender diversity, and Ketsi Urson talked a lot about that, was this notion of creating equal opportunity and trying to, when we looked at lessons to Denmark, kind of model some of the practices of Iceland who is number one in class on this topic. She said that although there's room for improvement, Denmark is doing some things well there. And I think that being top 15 in the world is obviously a good place to be, but certainly, as I said to catch it, not something she's screaming from the rooftops because it's clear that there's more ambitious goals to be top five, to be top three, to be up where Iceland is. Sure. We kind of pivoted a little bit in our roundtable part two, I guess you could say, where it was lessons to Denmark from the rest of the world. And what kind of struck me was how Ketcha framed it. If you don't have a problem, you don't have to do anything about it. So it's kind of that first step in recognizing a problem. And in this case, it was that gender diversity could improve. You're not going to act upon it. And I think that ties in well to what Klaus Lindborg said about 
the problem of contentedness. What did you think about that? Um, I think that, firstly, the word problem trips a lot of people up because people don't like to hear the word problem. As soon as you say the word problem to people, they quickly look to... It's a to, challenge, Ed. It's not a problem. everything's right. <laughs> yeah. but, so there's the puzzle that we're working on. Why do we have more men here than we have women there? And when you treat it as a puzzle, it attracts all attention to it. When you call it a problem, it assigns blame quite quickly. And then the defense and, mechanism sets in and... Yeah, absolutely. And then it's the same thing with contentedness. It tends to then end up going, Danish people are very... And then uh, knowing what I know about neuroscience and and the science of humans in general is that all humans are are fundamentally the same, but the environment in which they were raised in is different. Okay, so the puzzle is, how do you maintain this amazing society but also make them more welcoming at the same time. So where is the welcomeness missing? Well, welcomingness. Welcomingness. <laughs> is that a word? It's a word. Now it is. <laughs> I mean, you've identified it, right? And I, th- I thought it was really interesting that, that Klaus, he talked about how oh, Danes have a difficulty adapting. And then there's this general contentedness. It's a really a fundamental catch-22 that the very same trust and homogeneity of the Danish people... Are we making up words today? <laughs> yeah, ...is also something uh, preventing the true inclusion of diversity. And that's something that is the kind of the big question that I have from this is how do you expand the circle of trust? How do you both continue having the least unhappy country, but keep growing and innovating with a diverse... uh, My opinion, to loop back around to talent attraction is that... Every Dane should have to spend their last year of university in another country. Right, to truly cultivate that global perspective. Absolutely. It makes so much sense because, I mean, it's really, at the end of the day, whether you're from England, whether you're from the States, whether you're from Denmark, that's your passport. But what we're talking about is what's going on up in your brain in the prefrontal cortex. What kind of experiences do you have that have created this open space? to truly be able to look at what is the future of leadership, what is the future of work from a completely diverse perspective. Absolutely. And Chris Schoen talked about really that the diversity is essential for exploring what is the future of leadership. And I thought, wow, that's something we, we need to return to yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear our, our counterparts doing a podcast in the UK you know, two Danes over there saying right. English people are or Americans are right. because... Because I don't really know, right? And until I go back to the UK and spend time there, it's hard for me to see because obviously, you know, the, a fish doesn't know what water is like. Indeed. And so well, when you move to another culture, you get a huge perspective, not only on their culture viewing from the outside, but turning around and looking at your own culture and go, oh, here are all these things that I thought were true about the world, but they aren't. And just going to another country for a year just hugely changed it, it is that it is that to and from right it's the mirror onto your native culture and the new culture and yeah, i think absolutely. It's, it's crucial and i mean that contentedness too that is this catch-22 that spills over into networking and klaus limbauer talked about it and so did chris Schern that actually cultivating a professional network in denmark is very difficult and there's language barriers there and there's also systemic barriers because of the way that Danes in general create friendships and create networks. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Katja mentioned networking uh, as well from uh, she did. from a female perspective. I mean, 
<laughs> I haven't done any networking in Denmark and I've done a lot of networking, right? So I haven't been to right. any networking events, but I've had 500 coffees and that's the way I did it. And what you learn is that people are interested and people do care and they want to hear an interesting story and they want to tell their story, regardless of how people appear at first sight. They are interested in telling their story, but sometimes it's in context. So you might go to a networking event and not pull a story out of a Dane, but if you meet them for coffee, you'll get the story quite quickly. You, you have to be tactical about it. Absolutely. So guys, my little two cents on networking in Denmark the difficulty be tactically clever find out what is it that you can benefit into the conversation that's interesting you have to put yourself out there constantly but that doesn't mean that it has to be constantly in the traditional sense of attending networking events or speed dating it could be creating a podcast it could be having a thousand coffees in one-on-ones <laughs> But one thing is clear, if you do not put yourself out there, you will not network. But don't rely on any systemic foundation in Denmark. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it in happy hour. You're not going to find it in some traditional senses that you'll do another thing. So the impetus on the individual, and Ketchy mentioned it in terms of the gender perspective, but it's, it's, I think, universal for foreigners, is you have to really make a profound effort. Absolutely. To it and not be dissuaded by not reaping any immediate benefit. Because at the end of the day, it's about sharing your vision and your creativity and trying to co-create and merge ideas. Absolutely. Everybody, everybody loves to tell stories and to hear stories. It's just, it will look very different to how it looks in your country. You know, and it goes back to uh, Hugo as well. I think Chris said it, that Hugo is great if you're part of the club. And what we see that a lesson to Denmark is, Expand the circle of trust. Expand the club. Open up the network. Include women. Include culturally diverse talent in the circle. We hear this time and time again. It seems like we're really identifying a, I don't want to call it a problem, <laughs> but a major fucking problem <laughs> in terms of what's happening in Denmark. I mean, it's really something that we keep hearing over and over on where Denmark can be better. And it couldn't be more clear amongst our guests there. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it is the the primary thing: the integration and the the sharing of ideas and the feeling welcomed on a general level rather than a just a business level. That's that's exactly right. And we know that it's at the end of the day expensive for the state as well and the individual company to lose talent. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a promising woman, whether it's a promising foreigner in the organization, the data is there. Yeah, it's the um, the age old. I'm going to hire someone, or I'm going to take a job. Is you come for the result, but you stay for the experience. Yeah. And expats are getting the result of the money of the position, but they're not getting the experience, so they're leaving. Indeed. So I mean, to kind of sum up our first round table, what we can see is that Denmark is doing a lot of things very well with the social welfare model in terms of gender opportunity. Pretty good when you think about it from the comparison with the world. And also this notion of trust, which we keep going back to. Really, these things are what makes Denmark attractive, both to live in, but also to work in. But like we just said, how to retain this talent, how to open up for a new way of 
being and doing. It seems like there's a lot of room for improvement there. Absolutely. And, and and I don't think it's just on a fundamental of, of we've got to do this so that we can integrate the talent. Like It's fun. It's fun to connect and hear stories and not hear the same stories from your same group over and over again. Go Meeting a new person and hearing a new story is like going to a new country if you let it be. I think Chris Sharon wrote a book called Return of the Vikings and I think it, recapturing that Viking spirit Get back on the boat and go do that year again. It's because at the end of the day, it's really about rewiring the brain to have that growth mindset, isn't it? Absolutely. And come back with it. Come back with a growth mindset and see what happens. Absolutely. And bring some talent with you as well. Yeah, why not? <laughs> One of their agents that helped us. So the next... Yeah, what's, what's happening next, Ed? We have Dr. Pony Maluthra coming back. We've got Louisa Orbison and our new alumni from a recent podcast. We've got Sandy McKenzie. That's right. We've got a great lineup there, which will be recording on the 21st of February, I believe, and then being broadcast out to you guys shortly thereafter. We're really excited about this one. We're going to take a deep dive into their lessons to and from Denmark, but also kind of see how that ties together with the concept of the future of work which I think will be a really interesting topic. Absolutely. What else are we going to be looking at? Working with multi-generational diversity. That was, that was Pornima's oh, specialty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And psychological safety versus active inclusion. I'm really excited to dig more into that psychological safety, obviously being that staying in your comfort zone and being safe, and then active inclusion being kind of the seemingly risky thing. I am really excited to talk about these lessons and especially that one too, especially how it relates to the challenge that we just looked at in the first round table. Well, guys, that is kind of where we were and where we're going. We hope that this new format as well as kind of the classical format are still uh, to your liking. And uh, I think that's it for today. Any final reflections? Yeah, I mean, how, how many podcasts does one have to do to earn the monocle classical? Um, that is a fantastic question. I think we're going to have to send that out to the, uh, to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, guys, we will uh, be in touch. And until next time, see you on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.